Support for Class Dismissed comes from School Status. School Status helps educators at every level take control of student data for increased outcomes and meaningful stakeholder engagement. Find out more at SchoolStatus.com. You are listening to Class Dismissed, episode 114, and I'm your host, Nick Ortigo. Today is an increased focus on academics in kindergarten, a good or a bad thing. And five years ago, Starbucks offered to help pay for baristas to go to college. So how many graduated? Stay with us. Class Dismissed is the podcast that inspires educators through story. Each week, we cover some of the hottest topics and news in the world of education. Plus, we hear from a guest with a bright idea for education that you can apply in your community. This week, Rick Warmly is here to give us some clever ways to get students energized on day one. Hello, everybody. Nick Ortigo here, and I'm joined by teacher extraordinaire, Lissa Pruitt. Lissa, how was week two of school? It was so much better than week one. So you are about to have your teenager well no i should say your 19 year old yeah young man <laughs> head to college right like move-in yes, day is yes. i guess this is airing move-in day yep i'm ready i have it all sorted and ready and now i know that on a previous episode of class dismissed I admitted that I partake in those really over-the-top dorm rooms. Yeah, yeah, you do like decor, canvases so and stuff for people. I really have done about 20. Oh, really? Um, I think you were like, oh, I'm just doing this one for my son. Right, I did. Yeah. I made one for my son, um, and it's awesome. But, um, but of course, I've, I'm employed to make a bunch for lots of different people. And um, they're all really fabulous, and I can't wait to get all the photos Um of them all set up in their crazy little posh dorms up at Ole Miss and State and yeah. Alabama. But um, but my son moves in to the University of Southern Mississippi. And so it's really hard with boy dorms because you don't want to be, you don't want to take it too far, you know? Right. But my son and his roommate, they have really funny personalities. So they're like, oh, no, more is more. Do it. Like, <laughs> So that's what I was wondering. Like, are they going to want it to be like, you know? done up are they like are they yeah, into they, it or are they kind of like i don't need anything they like, kind of feel like they've got it in the bag because they have me so they're like yeah our room's gonna be awesome so i did paint them a really large painting of a prominent building on our college campus I, i've got a rug for them and my younger son actually saw the rug be delivered and i was like all excited and he was like is that the rug for the dorm room for my brother's dorm room i said yeah. And he was like, Mom, that's like a girl rug. I was like, No, it's not. No, it, that they picked this out. Is it like, because it's like plush or is it because it's like the color? It just has different colors in it. It's mostly gray and white, but yeah. it's kind of geometric and it has like a pop of like one little triangle is blue and another triangle is yellow, but 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 the majority of it is just gray and white triangles. But my younger son just I think he just I don't know what he thought, but I ran it by the older two boys, and they said that that was good, so that's the rug they have, so we'll see. I hope that's not an epic fail. (laughs) I told him last night, I was like, hey, just so we're clear, like, I'm not packing any of your clothes. Like, that is you. That's all you. I'm just helping get you set up to be able to live in a box. Like, you've got to have the clothes. But I think he just doesn't care because he's like, eh, I'll run home. If I need a party shirt, I'll go get a a swanky shirt. I'll go get it. I mean, it it is nice, though, that he's going to be doing the leave behind. Like, you're going to get to see him more because he's like, I'm just going to get a shirt. I said that. I said, you know, I wonder how much I'll see you. 
And he was like, oh, mom, I can't wait to come back. And I'm going to bring my friends on the weekend and you can cook for all of us. And it's like <laughs> panic just went across my face because I was like, wait, wait, what? Wait, yeah. no, because like yeah. you, you get sad that they're leaving. But then when you think of them bringing a bunch of boys back for me to feed for the weekend, oh, no. Yeah. Like, don't you have a kitchen <laughs> in the dorm? Yes. Well, that's exciting. I'm excited for you guys. Um, let's go ahead and uh, jump into the teacher's lounge. What's going down this week? Oh, my goodness. Okay, so we have talked about this a couple of times, about the rigor of kindergarten and how kindergarten ain't what it used to be. You know, like there is no there is no playtime and, you know, learning social awareness. A lot of it is, hey, we're heavy on phonics. We're heavy on math. You know, when you go to kindergarten roundup um, before the summer starts around these parts, they give you a list of things that it would be nice for your child to know before they walk through the door. So either you got to try to tackle those things at home um, or you hope that your pre-K development program help prepare your child for, for kindergarten. Um, but in truth, when you get into the, the classroom with your little youngsters as a kindergarten teacher, you have all kinds. You have kids that are like, I have no idea what the first letter of the alphabet is. But then you also have children that... Um, you know, are reading, basically, small sentences. Right. Um, and know what a sight word is. So um, it's kind of it's kind of tough. It's kind of tricky. Well, what is it that, I mean, is kindergarten for that stuff, like for learning sight words? Or is it for in my getting opinion, used yes. to the environment? In my opinion, yes. In kindergarten, you have to learn that you're one of many. Um, and if you have, you know, if, if grandma has helped keep you at home, um, then you really have been, you know, the the queen or king of the the hill and then you get to kindergarten and you have to learn that you're one of many which is a wonderful thing you have to learn how to treat others and how to be treated and what's okay and what's not but yes kindergarten is about you know reading readiness and learning um letters and sounds and font phonics but of course you want them to have phonemic awareness before they make it there it's also learning the relationship that numbers play in the world and with each other um so but you it's hard to get to a lot of those things um because of a lot of the social things of kindergarten so the kindergarten of of long ago it definitely used to be more social based more interaction uh playful learning um but now kindergarten is is very heavy in phonics and early math literacy and things like that. So there's been a lot of talk about, ooh, is this bad? Are we harming the children by doing this? Is this a problem that we are pushing so much, you know, on to kindergarten? And the only reason we're doing that is because of state testing that starts in third grade, and we're realizing yeah. that the kids are behind. So we're just trying to get a head start for That's right. our so, own benefit. So we started saying, ooh, let's put more in kindergarten, and then also let's put more on first grade and second grade, so that by the time they get to third grade, everybody makes it past the gate. So, um, so of course, there's a lot of, you know, talk on both sides. And honestly, I have also been one to say, like, gosh, it's just hard being little. These poor kindergartners, you right. know, they're just trying to get their pants buttoned. You know, right. like they're trying to wipe their own self because mom isn't there to do it. So and then they're trying to, like, you know, yeah. have all these other things. So it's like Learns you do wonder, grammar. like, gosh, is this really hurting them? And I'm sure that. There is a strong argument for some of the social causes of this, but um, the Marshall Report came out um, with some research that has, you know, pointed out the fact that kindergarten has morphed 
um, from a semi-structured transitional program into an academic prep program. Hmm. And so um, studies show that the that introducing more math and reading in kindergarten boosts academic achievement down the road. Yeah, we have studies that say that, but... How is it affecting these children emotionally, socially, you know, what's happening there? But the truth is nothing. Like, actually, so that's they're what saying this, this, research, this research says, hey, no everything's fine. There's actually positive. The kids, the kids are more engaged. The kids are interested. You know, you always hear of people saying that children's minds are like little sponges. And yeah, they are. They're just soaking it up. So it's okay. You know, of course, you're going to have some some parents and teachers that have watched a child struggle with reading and maybe they have dyslexia or maybe they're just later to develop, especially boys, you know, they, they are a little later to the party on that sometimes. And so you, you may have those people that say, no, it wasn't good for them. But again, there's nothing wrong with redoing kindergarten. If you felt like your child just wasn't maturing enough to be able to handle the rigor, Um, because promoting them onto first grade is only going to be, more of a boulder rolling up that hill. Right. So, um, but it's, but all in all, the research proves that no, actually, it had all positive effects. Of course, it had positive effects on state testing and things like that, but it also had a positive um, effect on first grade. You know, children truly, you know, those poor kindergarten teachers that say, I just don't think they're getting it. I just don't think they have it. I think they don't right. remember anything. Actually, in first grade, the teachers are like, no, you'd be surprised at what they do say. Oh, yeah. And the light bulb finally clicked on because they were exposed to it all year long all year long in kindergarten well that's good that that is a fresh perspective so did the uh, researchers like were they looking at a, a small group a large sample like how did they come to this conclusion well they looked at data from eighteen thousand children in nearly almost a thousand schools and wow. so okay. i mean i feel like that's pretty good oh, i'll take it i think so hey well all right so you're talking kindergarten i'm going to talk college we're going to go to the other end of the spectrum here Five years ago, you may or may not remember this, but um, Starbucks started offering baristas money for school, big chunks of money for school, basically, in some cases, paying for all of college. Um, And there was a report just recently saying, all right, it's been five years. How many of the baristas actually like finished the program and graduated, which really caught my eye. I'm glad somebody that's good follow up journalism right there. You know, like, all right, let's see what happened. And um, what do you think? I mean, do you think that, like, throw a number, like, how many baristas do you think graduated from college due to the Starbucks program? A hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, that's the top percentage. Like, give me, like, a raw number. Like, how many students do you think got a degree because of this program? What would be impressive to you? So was this was this um, nationwide? I mean, yeah, this is a, this is all the Starbucks. So I mean, do so you think, all the like, Starbucks awarded a scholarship to someone in their community. I mean, how am I supposed to guess if I well, don't know how many were handed out? Well, that's just it. It's like it's not even like how many were handed out. Would you be impressed? Like, what would impress you if a company was like, "All right, we're going to help you guys go to school," but like, would a hundred impress you? Would not, it, not for Starbucks. A hundred would not impress me. Not for a business like Starbucks. They'd okay. have to be more than that. So what would you think? Like how many graduates would you be like, all right, they're making a difference? Um, 5,000. They're at 3,000 right now. Oh, so, good job, yeah, Starbucks. Yeah, hey, yeah. that's great. Yeah, 3,000 is great, I think. 5,000 would be a lot. They are, are going for 25,000 graduates by 2025. That's wow. aggressive. But good for them for sticking with it, too, because so many, I, f- I really do feel like so many companies throw things out there that they're doing, and they get the press for it, but they don't really follow through, you know? Right, right. That, and 
that's why I like this type of journalism where they kind of go back around and say, let's see what happens. So much of the program, I think there's a few different universities they can go to, but much of it is done online. And it's Arizona State University who has this apparently like you can take all of college online through Arizona State University. And so Starbucks and them teamed up and um, Arizona State liked it because Starbucks helped promote their online program. Right. So it's like you have this massive company helping market the fact that you guys can do this. Um, And that's why they were willing to say, all right, we'll help you. We'll help reduce the cost of this program. And then I think Starbucks picked up some of the cost as well. Well, that is awesome. Right. And um, so it was kind of like the story goes in and talks about, you know, different kids that have graduated, talks a little bit about the um, stigma that some of the kids had uh, at first, like uh, even a lot of the kids, like before they agree to do it, there is a little bit of a stigma, I think, around the thought of going to college online. Like, it's not the same. Um, but all the kids are very happy with their degrees. And, and I don't know if you have a thought on that. I mean, I haven't taken an online course through university in 20 plus one years, you know? So, like, I just wonder, like, is it is it great now? Is it almost like you're in the classroom? Well, I do think a lot of them, you are in the classroom. You do, you know, plug into a live feed. Um, or you watch that live feed later, you know. Um, but a lot of teachers in the classroom actually take questions from their students that are plugging in online, and they, you know, so anyway. But I think it depends on what your major is. You know, like if you're, okay, so I guess I'm looking at it from the view of an employer, okay? So if I was trying to hire a new teacher to my district, um. If I knew that she a hundred, she or he a hundred percent got their degree online, but somehow didn't have to do that student teaching component to where they were in the classroom doing, you know, then I might not would hire that person over somebody that that truly was in, you know, because a lot of universities require those hours constantly in schools. Um, I would think, you know, but then there are so many, um, you know professions out there where you are truly you are the one driving your own I mean you are you are working on things right by yourself submitting them by yourself doing it all by yourself and yeah you may go to a building and do that work next to someone else who's doing an another isolated thing so yeah why should they have to go to a university to get a degree yeah. when their their job isn't really going to require them to be like super super deny- dynamic in front of other people <laughs> yeah i agree um and so more numbers for you as of spring of 2019 there were 12,000 starbucks employees enrolled in asu classes um and apparently like that is 27% of the asu online students so it's a a big chunk but um, other companies have followed suit um, and started doing the same thing we've seen uh, walmart kind of set up similar programs Um, so it's been good and i really i I don't think there's anything bad about what's happened here and it's good to hear that like these students have actually followed through that's awesome are you ready for the uh, bright idea yes Our guest in today's Bright Ideas segment has had his work reported on Good Morning America, Hardball with Chris Matthews, and National Geographic. Rick Warmly was also one of the first nationally board certified teachers in the United States. Today, Rick is here to talk about how teachers can get their students energized on day one of the school year. Rick, thank you so much for being on Class Dismissed. Oh, it's a pleasure. 
Um, now, there, there's so much I want to talk to you about this, but what I really caught my eye about this article that you wrote about ways to get you know students ready to go and not kind of you know bring them down on day one was something that I used to hate or despise as a as a student, and that was when the teacher walks in the door and they just want to go over the rules and hand out forms and not really get to know you. And that's really what you wrote this article for, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I hate that, too, because that's setting up school as a place of control, not hope, not possibility, not creativity, not that I belong here. It's all about how do I, um, I don't know, how do I cowtail? How do I just follow along and become one more peg, you know, in the system? And they want to know that you're going to take them, help them transcend their current condition, help them aspire to something more than they are, and give them hope for a year that's really going to finally be interesting and there's going to be meaning behind it. And when all they get is more rules and regulations, they realize, yeah, one more year where there's nothing here for me. And I think setting that foundation fundamentally changes the teacher-student relationship for the rest of the year. And I think you kind of kick off the article that you wrote um, talking about how important it is to to get to know your students and, and how far that goes. And it reminded me of something, I want to say I read it in like Seven Habits for Highly Effective Leaders or something like that, but it talked about like an emotional bank. Is that is that essentially what you're saying? You're trying to build like this this emotional bank with your students so they, they believe in you from day one and they trust you? Well, that's interesting. You know, the degree to which anybody takes risk in any organization, including a, a basic classroom microcosm, is a, to a large extent based on the degree to which they feel like they have trust and relationship with the one in charge. So I think this idea of emotional bank accounts, where you make deposits in it so that when things get rough, you can draw from it and you have a wellspring from which to draw, they still trust you. They're okay because they know you've got their back. You will not humiliate them. One of the things that I found is that, you know, students realize that you will not humiliate them and that you will not let them humiliate themselves. They'll move mountains for you. So it's kind of like a mutual ethos. I'm looking out for you. You're looking out for me. So I may not like the activity you want me to do, but I respect you so much. I'm going to give it a try because I see that you're trying to bring my world and make it relevant and that I have a seat at learning's table, that I have a role to play in the actual learning. When that's not perceived, then it's real easy to remain passive, to make excuses, to almost to develop a learned helplessness. So I've got to build the trust. I've got this. You're in good hands. And there's this, this whole body of research about model reliability. If I can trust that you're a reliable model in my life, I will put up with more of the challenges you, you request of me than I would if you're an unreliable model. So sometimes I ask myself and other teachers, how do we prove that we're a reliable model? We remember supplies that we say we're going to remember to bring. If we say on Thursday we're going to do this, we do that thing on Thursday. If we say, hey, this is really going to be interesting, it turns out to be really interesting instead of just a put off or superficiality. So I think all those things come together to create a commitment that we're in this together. It's a collaboration to do this thing called school, not something we do to students, but something to do with them. And with that, the students feel like, okay, there's connection for me. I belong as a part of this this whole process. You offer a list of ideas of ways that maybe teachers should start off that first day of class. And, and it's so succinct and, and really just, you know, simple ideas that I think I had to share this with, with our listeners. So if you'll, you'll humor me, I want to kind of go over some of those and spread the word. Sure, but, yeah. But, but the, uh, the first one in there is the best way 
for you to learn, you said cards, like basically, I guess, put cards out. Help me understand that. Yeah, it's just like index cards or whatever, card stock or whatever you have. If you want to do it digitally, that's fine. But basically, kids are candid, and they know themselves pretty well already by the time they get to you know, third, fourth grade. It might be do a little differently than if you had younger kids. But we're talking about middle school, high school as well. And they'll say things like, well, I'll, I'll just say, hey, what's the best way for you to learn math? What's the best way for you to learn science? And they will say things like, look, if, you, if it's really important, write it on the board. Otherwise, I won't think it's important. Um, don't ask me to do it online, as I mentioned in the article, because this doesn't always work with my home life, because my brother or my sister always hog the computer when we only have one. They're, they're, I take those that stack of cards, and when I'm in the classroom, I'm on leave right now, but when I'm in the classroom, I have 185 students. So what does that mean? It means I got a stack that I rubber band, mm-hmm. and I look through that as I'm trying to decide what to do next, and kids will say some really cool things, give me lots of examples, um, you know, can I get a copy of these various things? Speak slowly. <laughs> it right. bothers me. Um, can I sit near the window? Um, there needs to be fresh air or I get really sleepy. <laughs> All that stuff is on there. And it's really very helpful. So when I'm worrying about a kid who's not thriving, I look through those cards to see if they said some, shared something with me that I need to hear. You also, this is a good one. You say, have the, the students write letters to the teacher, but as if they were their own parents. Oh, yeah, that's so liberating. When you write under pseudonym, you kind of are more free with the things that normally you would hold back. And the kids love it because it's the only time during the year they can write, you know, Dear Rick and act really grown up. But there's like one adult talking to another. And they say things about their lives. It, it, you know, there's one issue that sometimes they get so free they, they share private things that parents would prefer they not share. So I do have to caution them on that. <laughs> right. But – when I get what they say about themselves and then I get what they think their parents would say about themselves, I'm getting a really fleshed out version of the child. And when somebody's fully dimensionalized, you really care a heck of a lot more. It really activates all that, that teacher side of you when you say, I really want to know this person. This complexity makes it much more interesting for me in the classroom. And again, like how much better is this than than just, you know, handing out forms and saying these are the rules of the class? Like if I was a student in a class that did that, I would be completely inspired and ready to come back the next day. Well, you would think you'd feel like the teacher cared enough to get to know me as a person instead of one more paper to grade. And a lot of students live in fear of that. I mean, I think every one of us wants to be connected. And another thing that you do, uh, Rick, you suggest that the teachers do um, interest surveys, kind of find out what the students are interested in, correct? Yes. But here's the problem, though. Some of them can be pretty stale. So, uh, yeah, there's a certain section where I want to get the basics, like do you have hobbies, favorite foods, sports, things like that. Maybe what do you what do you think of yourself doing for a career, that sort of thing. But I think there's benefit to doing some really, I don't know, just innovative ones, you know, a, a variety of things. Like I think one I mentioned in the article was about if you want to swap places with an animated Marvel, DC Comics, anime, manga, gaming character, who would it be and why? Mm-hmm. Uh, this is, It's a little bit weird. It's a little bit different. But I think when people are kind of stretched in a place that's a little bit different, who they really are comes out. It's a bit more authentic. So if you can go back and give yourself advice from years ago, uh, what's something that surprises you? Describe something you, you daydream about or whatever it might be. What's something you wonder about how it works? There's an innocence there, a, a genuineness that can come out, and I think you have to find a variety of ways. The one caution I would give, though, is that 
many times we're overly reliant on linguistic representation, so orally or in writing. And some kids just are better at drawing or expressing things in a non-linguistic way. So if there was any possibility as you do a survey that they could actually have alternative ways of expressing it, I think you would serve yourself well and you might actually see a different side of the student otherwise unseen. And this last one I want to hit on, and you have several, and I'll link to the article in our show notes, but um, this one caught okay. my eye because I'd never heard of it. Six-word memoirs. Uh, I love six-word memoirs. And the coolest thing about it is that kids just they, – they say profound things, and the rest of the class goes, what the – who are you? What have you done with our friend? I mean they just astonish themselves. They surprise themselves. And it's not five words, it's not seven, it has to be six. So every single word counts. Every single word advances your cause. And this is a whole meme, man. There is a whole set of websites and books. Like there are whole books just in romantic six-word memoirs. There are whole websites dedicated to growing up six-word memoirs. But the basic idea is that way back long ago, the urban legend is that Ernest Hemingway was told to write the most poignant story he could in the shortest amount of words and he wrote, for sale, baby shoes, never worn. And that's it's a gut punch for a lot of people. You can do funny ones. And I think I put some of those in there, like my entourage asleep in his crib. Uh, books, music, that's all I need. You know, things like that. But what's really cool is they do it about themselves. You get to know the kids. So in the, in the six-word memoirs, we can use that as students actually review and look at content. And when you do a six-word memoir and then you explain behind the scenes, you know, what were you thinking? You use that word versus that word and th that profound nature of it. It really reveals a lot more about what the student's thinking. So I see misconceptions that otherwise go unseen. The students get very excited about it. They feel empowered. I often get students who, after the class is over, will send me six-word memoirs of what happened in, in the sports practice that day or what they think about this movie. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two. What's your six-word memoir? And they really have a good time with it. They want to. They ask to do it throughout the year. So it's always a really good practice. But truly, there's a whole website and a book dedicated to it. I direct everybody to take a look at that to get inspired. Well, these ideas are absolutely incredible. And and like I said earlier, I mean, as a student, I would love to see my teachers. You know, you bringing some of this to the classroom on day one. I think it just really kind of sets the tone and changes it. Um, I do want to talk about some other things, and that just has to do with you as. A, as a whole, I know you, you travel the country. What's your message right now? What's your main talking point as you kind of go from school to school? Man, that's a really good question. I think there's a, a lot of room for hope. A lot of people are very, very disgruntled, very frustrated, losing morale in teaching. We have such a drought of teachers, so many places where they're having to double up. Teachers taking more and more students because nobody wants to go into the profession. We have schools of teacher ed that aren't getting enough candidates to fill all the slots available. And it's not paying very well, obviously. And it's a little bit demoralizing in that society tends to put all of its ills and concerns on the shoulders of teachers. And so students are coming for more and more dysfunctional communities or lives. There's a divisive politics, there's a toxic nature. We're doing the drills for you know, uh, uh, shooter drills, practice drills. We've got worry about ice raids in some places and students are just crying and teachers are like, hey, how do I navigate that and say, oh, it's really important to learn where to put a comma in a divided quote. Some things are just paling in importance. And then we have the bigger, the big issues of 
what do we choose to teach? You know, particularly history and social studies. Well, if we teach that narrative, that's seen through that lens, that filter, and that's not responsive or respectful of the filter of this other group of people over here. So the idea of how do we become more sensitive and a lot of teachers, you know, they've been identified with certain ways of teaching and certain things that they teach for years. And now you're asking them to drop that. There's a grieving process. That's a really big struggle. I also find that there's a, a, a real struggle to get teachers to be developmentally appropriate. Like if I were to say, what's developmentally appropriate for a third grader or a middle schooler or a high schooler? They kind of stare blankly at me. So there's been an explosion of cognitive science research of late. What we really know about brains learn and and think and remember, long-term memory, uh, uh, retrieval practice has been exciting, a new field. And I think before I can teach you about standards-based grading, differentiated instruction, reading in the content areas, technology integrations, whatever they are, social-emotional learning... I do need to have you develop a sense of expertise about the brain. And a lot of teachers just aren't there yet, but some schools of teacher ed are not providing that as well. So it's kind of a, a mixed bag. We need pre-service and in-service on that. And I think if you were equipped, fortified with a real serious knowledge of versatility with what you know about the human mind and skill development and memory development and, and maturation, you'd be more likely to dive into some of the more effective innovative practices of, of a modern pedagogical approach. But there are a lot of people, they know their subject or they know what they've been doing for 20 years and they're not willing to go through the, mm -hmm. it's really heavy lifting uh, of the change process. So I do talk a lot about that. And I think the idea of racism and microaggressions and implicit bias has become paramount. And some people have just grown a little bit complacent. Along that same line, I think the intellect and creativity atrophy after been teaching the same thing year after year after year, and we don't pay enough attention to the intellectual wellness of teachers, the intellectual life of teachers, and how to cultivate that just to kind of feed their personal soul, but to create a sense of empathy for the child who's learning something brand new, let alone the excitement on our own of learning something about which we've always, always been passionate and I think if the server's down, a child is driving us nuts, we can't get the resources you know, for another five weeks, and now our lesson plan is out the window. When those problems arise, if you don't pay attention to cultivate and nourish your intellect and creativity, you don't see yourself as a problem solver. You see one way to teach it. If that one way is taken away, there's nothing you can do. Your hands are tied. And you almost develop what students do, a learned helplessness. And I think that we need to own this stuff. We don't wait for a school to do our own professional development. We're in charge of our own professional development. And a big part of that is to cultivating, how do I problem solve when things are quite challenging? So I think a, a mixture of all those would be what I'm really emphasizing if, if you want that. Sorry, it's such a no, no. convoluted answer. No, I, I love your energy. It's it's contagious. Um, and and I just got to ask, like, so if somebody wants to to catch up with you to, to have a chat with you or, or try to even book you, like, how do they go about doing that? Should they talk to you on Twitter or reach out to you through a website? Hey, my website is very easy to remember. It's just my name and dot com. So rickwarmly dot com. And there are at least four or five ways on there. We could send me a quick email and say, let's talk further about this. But I am on Twitter and I love talking on Twitter. I'm part of Twitter communities and chats and so on. So if you want to go to at Rick Warmly 2, there is at Rick Warmly, but it was hacked about five years ago. Oh, so no. I switched over to two. Yeah. Either one of those, the website, rickwarmly.com or 
the Rick Warmly 2, great ways to get a hold of me. All right, excellent. Rick, again, we appreciate you coming on the show. Are you ready for our pop quiz? Oh, man, hit me with it. All right. Uh, you've, you've been around the block with education, so I'm looking forward to your answers here, all right? So first question, if students could only go to school for one subject, which subject should it be? Reading. Reading opens more doors and slams more doors. I guarantee it's the most important t- subject taught in high school, middle school, elementary, and great scientists and great historians and great mathematicians can read their disciplines, not just present some case studies in numeric computation or whatever it is. It's the reading of it that opens those doors and just allows you to achieve all your dreams, followed very closely by science. I think it's to our peril. We have science illiterate people, so we need to make science literacy paramount as well. What are we not teaching in school that we should be teaching? I like the the social emotional learning stuff, but not to the exclusion of other things. I think some people, and this is not going to make me very popular with some educators, I think some people are saying, hey, you can always look it up. Content knowledge isn't nearly as important. Explicit instruction isn't nearly important. And I think it is. I think when you read something, you have to have a stored knowledge base to connect to what you are reading. Otherwise, you will not remember it. It will not be perspective. You will not recognize patterns. You'll not develop the meaning making that needs to be there. Memorizing facts, large swaths of literature, uh, 50 pronouns, transition words, formulas. The act of memorizing is not overtly taught to do it. It's not just about the skills. It is literally about the content itself. What does every child deserve? A loving, compassionate, ceaseless advocate. What's the biggest challenge for today's educators? There's so many. Yeah, I know. I know you did kind of touch on this when I asked you what, what you're speaking about. So I, I guess yeah, you I kind think, of answered it. I think politics that gets in the way of effective instruction is the biggest challenge. And then lack of resources and support um, would be a, a very close tie or, or second place. What's the best gift to give an educator? Time. Uh, just the time to do it. I, I give, give me two hours of planning time or time to work with kids rather than, you know, I may or may not get a planning period because there's so many subs we have to cover each other's classes. I think the time to do that, more time, no more work days where I could get together and we can collaborate. Be awesome. I'm not all I'm not totally against uh, coupons for a favorite coffee local establishment. That <laughs> would be very helpful. Right. I, I think um the great is just to support you in your own journey, your own development as well, whatever way you can make that happen. Which teacher changed your life? There were several. I'll say Mr. Caputo in sixth grade, Mrs. Culpepper in fourth grade. Uh, oh, I, I, Mrs. Newsom in seventh grade. I would walk in and say, can we please do something creative today? And she would say, I got it just for you. This is the Rick Warmly part of the lesson. And that really helped me feel like maybe I could be a part of this. I think all those teachers were articulate, enthusiastic ambassadors for the teaching profession. And they revealed behind the scenes thinking, you know, what it was like to be a teacher. And I just, it helped me create a vision of myself and maybe eventually seeing myself doing that. And I've tried to do that with, as I teach science, I bring scientists in the classroom as I teach math. I bring mathematicians in the classroom engineers in the classroom so they can see a person of a personifying i guess of somebody really doing it instead of just reading about it abstractly in some book and last question pen or pencil i i think and i i i stream my consciousness so to speak really fast so i need the smoothness of a pen 
but I scratch out right and left. But the pen helps me keep up with the words in my head. A pencil is just slower moving, but I like the idea that I can erase it. I'm gonna have to say a pen just for the fluency of it, but pencil maybe for the functionality. I have to give you credit. We've done over a hundred interviews, and I think that was the most like thought out pen or pencil answer we've ever had on the show. <laughs> <You> really- <laughs> <laughs> well, good. I'm always glad to be you know a trendsetter. Right. Right. Again. Uh, you can catch up with Rick Warmly over at wickwarmly.com or, or find him over on Twitter. Rick, we really appreciate you taking the time to chat with us. Thank you for your curiosity and for the program. I, I love this podcast. That's going to do it for this episode of Class Dismissed. We want to hear from you, so if you want to send us an idea or a comment, remember you can always email us at info at classdismissedpodcast.com. We're here to support educators, but we need your support as well. So if you like what you heard today, please be sure and hit that subscribe button, and we'd also love it if you'd leave us a five-star review. Don't forget you can connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com slash classdismissedpodcast or on Twitter to search for us by typing in Class Dismiss. On behalf of Russ with School Status and Lissa representing all the teachers out there, I'm Nick Ward. To go, and I'll talk with you next week. Class dismissed.